Hey guys, welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and today I'm speaking with Rocco Bellick. Rocco is a film director, writer and producer and his directorial, directorial debut, Genghis Blues, won over 70 International Film Festival Awards and was won as nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. In 2010, he collaborated with Christopher Nolan, creator of Inception and The Dark Knight Rises, to direct the documentary Dreams, Cinema of the Subconscious. And most recently, he's teamed up with Tom Shadyac of Ace Ventura, Bruce Almighty, The Nutty Professor, to make the documentary Happy, which is actually one of the main reasons which I heard about Rocco and how I'm really excited to talk about some of these topics today. And Happy, which uh, Rocco directed, wrote and co-produced, is an amazing, amazing film. really encourage you guys to check it out. And it kind of combines sort of a mixture between powerful human stories with all the latest and cutting edge like science, which kind of gives the audience a really deeper and richer understanding of exactly what it is that causes happiness. And uh, so, Rocco, excited. We had a little chat just before a clip of cord, but yeah, we're, I'm pumped for this one. I'm excited. Thanks for being here. Oh, me too. Duncan, it's good to be here. Now, I, I'm, I don't want to, I know you've got, yeah, mentioned this quite a few times, but just to kind of set the scene, I think what, like, what were we talking about? Seven, eight, nine years ago, you, were, you got a call from your friend Tom, and he was reading an article in the New York Times that, in a nutshell, said, America is an extremely rich country, but it's not a very happy country. I think it was 25th on the list. That was a sort of seed that sort of started this whole thing, wasn't it? Exactly. And, and Tom, at the time, was very successful in the sort of standard terms. He had made tons of money. I mean, he was making millions of dollars in every movie that he directed. And so he said, look, I get it. I understand what it means to have a lot of money and not necessarily be happier because of it. And in fact, the people who take care of my house, you know, who mow the lawn, who cut the bushes and, and sweep the floor, seem to be happier than most of my friends in Hollywood. You know, friends of mine who are more talented, more, more successful than I am, who are better looking, <laughs> you know, they have everything that people ever want. When we're looking for that, you know, American dream, this is the extreme version they have succeeded and they're not as happy as the people who work for, you know, whatever it is, 15 bucks an hour cleaning my house. And he didn't quite say it in those exact words, but, um, but that was the essence. And he said, look, so I want to know what does work. I, w- I know what doesn't. I want to know what does make people actually happy. So he said, you know, would you be willing, would you be interested to make a documentary film exploring that? And I immediately said, yes. It just sounded fantastic. I love it. And it, you, you could have thought on, on the outset, you thought, okay, this is more like, a one-year project ended up, ended up taking what five and a half, six years. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I even thought that since he was going to fund it or he was going to pay for most of it, I thought, oh, maybe eight months, maybe a year. You know, I'm in. Yeah, it ended up being about six years. Uh, and in fact, there's even a longer tail than that because um, once you make a film, you end up showing it and showing it and promoting it, distributing it. That's another few years. So it's really been a kind of epic, uh, you know, huge part of my life. But I'm glad for it. You know, I didn't. I'm. In retrospect, I'm glad it didn't happen in too short a period because it really has affected my own life, you know, thinking about these things and like and, and, and processing and focusing on happiness and kind of paying attention to things I didn't pay attention to before. So it's been it's been a real journey that, uh, yeah, one of the results is the film. Uh, you know, another result is that I have kids like because of the things I learned in the movie, which don't necessarily say that everybody should have kids. But that talk about uh, the importance of the community you live in, the amount of time you spend with friends and family, um, the amount of time you spend doing things that you love, mm-hmm. all of these things which I had kind of suppressed, you know, in my pursuit of a career, 
you know, like you in my mid twenties, I was kind of trying to chug along and, and, and figure out what it is that, that would make me a successful filmmaker. Um, I was, I was sort of renouncing things like spending time with friends. I was, I was denying things that, that the happiness research shows us is actually very important for our, our own personal happiness. And so once I recalibrated things, um, you know, I moved to a different city. I moved to a, a community. It's a, called a trailer park. I don't know what you call them in England, but yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> a caravan, caravan <laughs> park, I guess. And, uh, you know, in America, generally, you don't think of that as a wonderful place to live. That's where you live if you don't have enough money to live in a normal neighborhood. But in fact, this, um, this trailer park where I live is one of the best communities I've ever been in, where people know each other, the neighbors know each other. And again, all these things I learned while making the film about happiness. Um, and the, the end result of all that is my girlfriend and I, who've been together forever, <clears throat> well, 10 or 12 years at the time, we said, hey, what a great place to have kids. And now we have two kids. So, you know, making this film has totally changed my life in that way. So it was much more than an eight-month, eight uh, you know, Because <laughs> yeah. it was different sort of, um, different, like, locations, different sort of themes and stuff like that. And, like, one thing you have wanted to look at, almost learn about the root of happiness. So before we had television, phones, all the modern luxuries, you know, so you, one of the things, you visited the Bushman in Namibia, which is a great scene. And um, what kind of, you, you mentioned there, kind of community, what kind of, what kind of things did that sort of uh, experience teach you, living amongst those? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, first of all, the question of what makes us happy is, can be very um, uh, culture or context specific, you know, and, and, and I just, and I did want to know what was after, it was stripped down as a human animal, you know, what makes us happy on that most basic level. And these people in Namibia are, they have the most sort of um, the traditional communities of any uh, human communities on earth today, the, the ones that have lasted the longest, if you will. Mm. And what I, I ended up there on the evening when a woman had been sick for a few days. And, and at this point, after a few days of being sick, they sort of, um, you know, she, she tried to lay in bed for a while and get some rest. And, uh, but after a little while, uh, when it wasn't helping, the community decided, okay, we as a, as, a, as a community are going to heal this woman. And so the entire community, the kids, the elders, everybody in between, the new mothers, the, everybody joins in um, what's essentially... I mean, from an outsider's perspective, is a kind of a, a, a ritual dance and a song that is intended to heal the person who's sick. And what was amazing to me is, you know, in America, we just call a doctor or we send a person away, right? If somebody is sick, especially if we think they're contagious, we kind of say, go to the hospital, not get my help. problem. Right, right. And it's, it's not that we're mean, but, but we're kind of afraid of it. Whereas in Namibia, amongst, among these people called the San. Bushmen, they just come together and they rally around a person and they even put their hands on her shoulders, on her neck, on her back, on her, on her body to, to heal her. So that was just an amazing um, expression of the connectedness that people feel in that community. Now, I've never, I've lived in some great neighborhoods, you know, in Chicago when I grew up and, and now in California. I've never been in a place that when I get sick, all my neighbors show up and, <laughs> on me and, and send me good vibes and chant and sing for me. But, you know, this woman, the next day, she, it was as if she was never sick. And, and, and I don't know the extent of her illness. And my father was a doctor. He's a cardiologist and believes very much in, in you know, Western medicine and hard facts. Yeah. And I have a huge respect for that. And, of course, if I get sick, I want to go to a hospital. I probably don't want to go to a Bushman healing ceremony if I have anything serious. At the same time, there's something that we have to learn from a community 
that comes out in support of somebody who is sick rather than sort of shrieks back and says, wait, take my kids away. I don't want them to get whatever you have, mm-hmm. which is what we tend to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, the, these are the kinds of things that, um, like you, I've had the fortune, a good fortune to travel before this project. And so it's always been in the back of my head, like, you know, we have a lot to offer from an American culture. We have a lot to offer the world in science and technology and innovation, all kinds of wonderful things. But we also have a lot to learn. And that's one thing that I wanted to include in this film because it's very easy to just look forward as a modern person in a modern society with, you know, worrying about the, whether the next app is coming out this week or next and when the iPhone is coming out. It's very easy to just look forward and sort of forget yeah. a lot of things. And, and I wanted to, to look around us, to take a pause for, you know, 75 minutes of the movie and look around and see what do we have to learn about happiness because it's valuable. And it, and it affects us not only you know, in our, in, our, in our most primal emotional state, but also affects everything that we're aspiring to. You know, happy people tend to have more friends, they have better relationships, their marriages last longer, they have happier children, they do better at work, you know, their bosses like them more, or if they're a boss, their employees work better because they're happy. Um, you know, happy people tend to make more money, if that's what you're interested in. Um, they get, you know, higher social status. I mean, just all these things that we sort of are, are, are aiming towards, either directly or indirectly, are improved. The chances of our success of achieving those things is improved with happiness. So, um, you know, this is something that's very important to me, and I, and I didn't know that going in. I love I um, I put, I know you've described this story like a thousand times, but just it, it, one of my favorite ones is in Okinawa, the children running through the streets. Like, I just, I just love that idea. Like, I know you've, you've said it a thousand times, but do you mind one more time? Oh, no, no, no problem. No, this is, um, I haven't said it a thousand times. Maybe, maybe just that it got recorded once or twice. But uh, uh, what happened is I, my producing partner is a good friend of mine, and he quit a sort of high-paying job in Japan. He's a Japanese guy. Um, as a publisher to come and make this movie with me, even though he's never made a movie before. So it was his idea to go to Japan um, and, and see some of the things there that we have to learn about happiness. And so we went to Okinawa, and he, his idea was to go to the preschool. So first of all, sorry, we went to Okinawa because some of the world's oldest people in the Guinness Book of World's Records come from Okinawa. And there's also research that shows that happy people tend to not only be healthier, but they live longer. So we figured if there's, there's all these, you know, people who've lived very long in Okinawa, maybe they're also happy. Sure. <laughs> and, and, and at the time, we couldn't find any research, but we were already in Japan shooting another segment, and we thought, let's go find out. We went to a village that's called the Longevity Village, because that has more old people there than anywhere else, more hundred-year-old people, I should say, than anywhere else in the world in that small community. And my producing partner, A.G., said, hey, let's see what a happy hundred-year-old person looks like when they're two or three years old. Let's go to the preschool. Let's find out if we can see the seeds of a long and happy life that early. Are they doing something even then that can show us the way? So we went to the preschool, and this is all you know, unplanned. We're just winging it. And the preschool <laughs> said, I'm so sorry. We're not going to be in the classroom today. We do this thing every week or two where we go out into the community. And today we're having a race. But you can come with us. So we followed him along a couple blocks away. And these little kids, so cute, with their little hats and you know, matching hats. And they're little toddlers. Some of them could barely walk. The, the teachers led them a few blocks away to a street corner. And they stopped. And, and then about 100 yards, no, 50 yards away, um, some of the teachers stood. And that's the finish line. 
And so the teacher said, go. And kids start running, running, running. And I noticed that at the finish line, there was a few grandmothers had converged. I mean, these women were in their 90s. So maybe they would be great, great grandmothers to these little two or three, four-year-olds. As the kids crossed the finish line, these grandmothers were there to hug them and kiss them. And, and if the kids fell and skinned their knee, the grandmas would pick them up. And I, and I thought, what a wonderful thing. But, you know, there's probably 40 or 50 kids. and There's probably 10 grandmas. So I asked the teacher, which of these grandmas are related to which of these kids? And the teacher sort of asked them, and the grandmas looked around and said, none of us are related to any of these kids. I said, well, what are you doing here, right? I mean, there are a bunch of kids. This is like a Tuesday afternoon. What are you? And she looked at me like I was crazy. She said, well, we're here because the kids are here. Like to the grandmas, it it didn't matter if they're blood related. These are kids that need love and nurturing and support, and we are grandmas who can give love and nurturing support. It doesn't matter if we're not related by blood. And, and then they sang for about 15 minutes. They sang traditional Okinawan songs and they clapped and danced and everybody had fun. And the kids went back to school. And I thought, what an incredible, like in, like in Namibia, what an amazing expression mm-hmm. of an, a community that understands and, and values the importance of relationships between young people and old people. The fact that the old people aren't isolated and stuck in an old you know, a, a retirement home. They're embedded within the community. They're a part of it. Um, you know, I, I loved, I loved seeing that. And then one of the women actually, she got up and started dancing just by herself doing this kind of like hula hoop dance. And I was like, I was like, wow. And I was looking at the steps and I was trying to figure it out. And then another woman stood up and they had a boom box, like a boom box playing traditional Okinawan music on an instrument called a shamisen, which is this beautiful kind of evocative banjo like thing. And they're dancing and I'm looking at the steps and, and, and I, you know, I don't like buying souvenirs. I don't like bringing crap back. You know, I usually, but I thought, oh, I'll pick up the dance step and I'll bring that back, right? And I'm and I'm watching them. I can't figure it out. So I, I finally asked the first lady who stood up and started dancing. I said, "What is the dance step? Can you show me?" And she's like, "Well, what do you mean?" I said, "Well, you guys are doing this this clearly traditional." Said, oh yeah, this is a traditional dance. Well, show me. And she said, "Well, in Okinawa, the traditional dance step is to do whatever you want." <laughs> what? Like I have traveled a lot. I love dancing. I love hitting the dance floor when I go places. I've never heard of a traditional culture where the, the, the actual traditional dance is freestyle. <laughs> like just do whatever you want. Go for it. And, and again, what an expression of a place that's very traditional and has sort of cultural rules and yet is very open in other ways. It's not restricted where everybody needs the same haircut and the same clothes and the same – you can dance however you feel like. If you feel like crap that day, you can just bob your head or you don't have to do anything. If you feel excited, you can dance like a wild person. What a beautiful place. I mean, I loved, I loved Okinawa for these reasons. I love it. And I mean, yeah, whether it was sort of in Namibia or Okinawa or in the sort of the, the, the swamps in Louisiana, like a theme which just came through so strongly when watching it was this idea of just connection, 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 connection. It just it it was so powerful. And I think it's something which in our sort of modern society, we've really just we've we've lost and we, we think we're more. I know it's a bit of a cliche, like, oh, phones we feel more connected but we're less connected but there's so much truth in that we really we've lost that sense of just real connection which um came through in the documentary um which was yeah it was amazing duncan that's very cool you say that because um it's one of those things like if you hear somebody say mm. connection and relationships are very important that sinks in a little bit in your brain but you don't feel it yeah right and my i felt like my goal as a filmmaker in this case with this movie was to find to distill the most interesting scientific ideas 
and relationships is definitely one of them. You know, when I asked the, the leading researcher, what's the key to happiness? He said, well, it's different for different people. Some people need this kind of lifestyle. Some people need that kind. But every happy person he's ever studied for 35 years who's very happy has strong relationships. It doesn't mean that those people love everybody or they're the life of the party. They don't have to be a jokester. But it, mean, it basically means that they're, they love somebody and somebody loves them. Right? It's sort of that simple. But again, to hear that is only sinks in so far. I wanted to show it, and I, and I felt that was my challenge, is to take these scientific ideas or these intellectual ideas and make them visceral, make us feel. So I really appreciate you saying that because that was one of my goals, and I guess at least for you it worked. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, what is, uh, talking about goals, what, what is the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic goals? Great question, right. So there's a guy named Tim Kasser at the University of uh, – I believe it's, uh, it's at Knox College, actually, in southern Illinois. And he, dis he sort of discovered that there are two domains of goals. And intrinsic goals are goals that make you feel good just by doing them. Okay. So, for example, gardening. If you love gardening and you garden, that's an intrinsic goal. You love to garden, that's a priority of yours. If you love surfing like I do. I don't love gardening. I don't love knitting, but I love surfing. You know, I love working on my car. Those things for me are intrinsic goals. They don't, these are not goals that give you social status or money. They don't make your friends think you're cool. You know, none of that. It's all about your personal experience with these, with these um, goals, with these uh, activities. Then there are extrinsic goals, which work the opposite way. If you make tons of money, if you, if you prioritize money, that helps people think, you know, your neighbors and your friends think, oh, he's successful, right? I mean, our, at least in America, the word successful is sometimes synonymous with wealth, yeah. Yeah. financial wealth specifically. And so if those are your priorities, these are external goals. Uh, if you have, you know, you get a, the, the latest, uh, you know, Mercedes or, or whatever it is that, that you're aspiring to, that's an extrinsic goal because it's external and it doesn't necessarily make you happy to have that new car, at least, you know, first few weeks maybe. But after a few months, it's just a car that you're annoyed that when the bird craps on it, you know, so it's just like any other car, you just have to worry about it. But it still can um, boost your extrinsic uh, value in your community, your sense, sense of social status. So if people prioritize, what the researchers have discovered, which is fascinating to me, if you value and prioritize extrinsic goals, money, power, fame, good looks, all these things that are required or, or that are dependent on, on how people think of you, if those are your priorities, you are less likely to be happy than if your values are for intrinsic goals, for community a uh, sense of uh, 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 personal um, growth, wanting to make the world a better place, you know, being a good friend. If those are your values, if those are your priorities, you are more likely to be happy. Whether you achieve these goals or not, that's the interesting part. If you are extrinsically oriented and you become rich and famous, in the, and this is maybe relates to what Tom, you know, my buddy Tom was saying about his, him and his Hollywood friends. If you achieve those things, it doesn't mean that you're going to be happy if that's what you care about. So what's fascinating about this, and maybe I'm not saying it as clearly, what you care about has a huge impact on your happiness, whether you achieve these goals or not. That's fascinating to me because we can all we can't all become young and beautiful and, and you know rich and and successful and talented. That's not necessarily in our power, but we can become a good friend. We can love somebody. We can be compassionate. We can choose to do the things that we love to do, like gardening or knitting. Even if you're busy, you can find a little time for yourself to do those things. And if you do those things, you're more likely to be happy. And that, that's amazing to me. I love that. that is totally, 
within our control. Yeah, I think that's really, I like, I like that spin on, actually, it, it's kind of missing the point. If you actually get it or not, doesn't matter. It's, it's the, that you value it and you care about it. And that's important to you. That's actually, that's the crux. That's the important bit. Right, right. And, and there's a nuance, there's a tiny nuance of that that, I was, um, that I've heard actually from Tim Castor himself, that if your values are, are intrinsically oriented and you, care, you want to make the world a better place and you want to be a good friend and you want to support your community, and for some reason your situation is such that you cannot affect any change at all, you just feel like at every, every time you try and do something good, you're stumped, that can, that, that can diminish your happiness. In other words, you need to find a way to be effective. And, you know, one of the happiness interventions that they call um, is, is writing a letter of gratitude. A happiness intervention meaning, you know, how do I become happier sort of right now, like with a small activity? And, um, you know, drinking a, a milkshake or, or, or uh, you know, having some ice cream or chocolate or whatever, that, that gives you a tiny little boost for a very short time. But if you express your appreciation to somebody, it could be your first grade teacher. It could be um, a neighbor that you used to live next to 20 years ago. But just by expressing that appreciation, whether it's in an email or writing a letter or making a phone call, the expression of it actually boosts your happiness, not only for minutes, but it could be hours, even days, even weeks after you do it. Isn't that amazing? I love that. Even if the person, even if you don't know if the person ever heard the message, writing the damn letter, just writing it can boost your happiness significantly for up to days and weeks later. Now, of course, if the person responds, oh, I remember you, you were my favorite neighbor too, you always helped me take out the trash or whatever, that boosts your happiness even more. Yeah. So, so again, you know, what was exciting to me, and I did not know this going into making the movie, is there's a huge amount of our happiness that we can affect, we can control. Because, again, we can't, we can't control, you know, what happens to us, but we can control how we behave what we value what we think about oh, yeah. so so that's that's that was very cool to me now i think that's really exciting because um i think with different things that we're finding out from science or different things things that it's reinforcing that where like as opposed to thinking life happens to me there's nothing i can do i'm, I'm just born this way realizing actually we can we can really take those steps and actually we can almost take um take the driving seat and actually some things sure are hereditary but there's really practical things which aren't and then we can actually do those steps to increase our well-being so um i think that's exciting to hear that and it being reinforced again and again by science and by you know people like you so yeah, that's cool yeah you know duncan when i when i set out to make the movie i knew that for millennia people have had opinions about happiness mm. and and organizations have had opinions about happiness you know different religions tell you what will, what you should do to be happy and you know, my teachers at school told us about doing well in school and, you know, behaving and sitting still in class. Everybody has a sort of culture of happiness through all these cultures. I wanted to find out what the science culture was, the, the culture that, that does, that's, that's hopefully unbiased, that's really looking at facts and, and, and actually studying this, um, you know, rigorously. And that, I think, is, um, I guess that comes through in the film because, because it really is based on science. Not to say that... Uh, that there aren't things about happiness that are still unknown. There's tons. I mean, just even to express what happiness is, is hard to do with words. It's mm. hard to do in a, a analytical text, you know, of a scientific experiment. It's very hard to do yet. We're moving in the right direction when we pay attention to this hard data, these things that when people actually study what it actually works and that that's, that's, I feel very lucky to um, have 
made this film right at a time when the science was really sort of blowing up around the subject. You know, one of the leading researchers in happiness, uh, a guy named Ed Diener, um, he wanted to study happiness when he was a grad student, a psychology grad student. And his professor said to him, you can't study happiness. It's impossible. It's too ethereal. It's too, it's too nebulous. You can't even pin it down. So you should study something else. He ended up um, doing his paper on, um, on um, uh, what is it, on negativity, on, um, on skepticism or something like <laughs> that. Yeah, very, very good. And then, and then once he got out of school, he, he ended up studying happiness. And, uh, you know, that it, I, get to, I got to do this movie at a time when that kind of research was coming to the forefront and for the first time really in, in modern history being taken seriously. So that's, that's, I think, what the film has to offer is, is a, a glimpse into that world. And we have a lot to learn from it. This, this might be the uh, next one. might be a bit of a sort of, I don't know, a bit of a vague or annoying question. But, like, in your opinion, what do you feel, I don't know, what do you feel like makes a really sort of compelling story, one that has the power to create change or really lasting positive impact in the world? Like, I, I know it's more of a, it's not, it's an art, necessarily a science, but, like, in your, in your opinion, are there any things which you feel really makes a great story? Yeah, yeah, I totally appreciate that question because as a filmmaker, I am more of an artist than a scientist, even though I value both. Um, and I'm no expert at this, but I am always drawn to stories of personal struggle and hopefully some sort of triumph. It doesn't have to be the triumph that the person was struggling exactly for, but some sort of a, a deeper understanding, some value coming out of that struggle. You know, my first movie was about a blind blues musician who taught himself to do this weird kind of singing that people do only in Asia. So here's this like Creole uh, African-American guy with this, you know, twisted Afro because he's blind and he doesn't care what his hair looks like. And he and he plays a slide guitar and he lives in San Francisco and he looks homeless. But he taught his very, very um, talented and extremely smart guy who was interested in the world through the shortwave radio. That's how he explored the world teaches himself to do this weird multi-harmonic singing, goes to Siberia. His is a tragic story. He's a blues musician at heart. Like, no matter what, his wife was, died of kidney failure. He's had all kinds of setbacks career-wise. But he experienced this moment of true triumph in his life by going to Siberia and sharing his appreciation of their culture, especially their singing culture, and being valued by the Tuvan people. It's not a typical story of, you know, a hero's journey going out to vanquish, you know, the dragon or, or the, the enemy. Um, but there's something about that struggle when people, um, when they pursue their dreams and they take risks and challenges to do that. I really resonate with that. So, I mean, I guess that's one element that I really like in a story that, that's compelling. And, you know, that movie, I've made it with a home video camera with my brother and it ended up playing all over the world, which means I think some people at least out there resonate with that. I also think it's important to make a character, if it's about a character or a few characters, that we can relate to. And, and in a way, that's pretty easy because we can all relate to setbacks, right? There's nobody, in, you know, George Clooney to me is a very talented, good-looking guy, and he's very wealthy and successful. There's no way he went through life without struggles, right? We all experience struggle. So if the character can have something that we relate to, struggle-wise, setback-wise, um, and, and hopefully have some amount of a heart that we want to support, you know, to see them at least at some point trying to do something good. Uh, there's some quote by Roger Ebert, you know, the, the great uh, film critic, and he said something like, if you want people to cry in your movie, 
show your main character trying to help somebody. And, and I'm, I'm screwing up the quote, but and maybe maybe he meant maybe he even said trying to help somebody but failing or trying hard but suffering because of it. I don't know what the nuances was, but that was basically it. it's like we are naturally empathic. It's another thing I learned while making I Am. Um, that's Tom's documentary. Uh, you know, people, we actually have something called a mirror neuron in our brain. And if we see somebody experience some emotion, whether they, you know, hammer their thumb with a, with a, with a hammer accidentally or whether they, um, you know, win the Academy Award, whatever it is, when we see an extreme emotion, there's a, there's a neuron in our brain that actually does to our brain what's happening in that person's brain. It's this incredible thing where we, our brains literally mirror, they mimic the emotions that we see in others. That's where, that's the root of empathy. Empathy meaning that you feel somebody else's pain, you feel somebody else's joy, you feel somebody else's hope. And in a way, that's, that's the thing we're tapping into as storytellers and artists, as you are, as I hopefully am with my movies, is triggering these things so that the audience feels what our main character is going through. And I think once you do that, once you get somebody sort of on your team, then the character can go wherever they need to go, to Siberia or to Okinawa or wherever they need to go, and, uh, and we're with them, we as the audience. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, that made, I, was just, I, was just, I was just listening, just like taking notes. I mean, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Great, amazing answer. Cool. What does a fulfilled life mean to you? Uh, you mean personally or you mean as like, a, you, as like a prescription for everyone, for me? You personally. Okay, I feel that... I have been given so much, right? I'm healthy. Uh, I'm alive. Uh, I speak English well. I'm educated. I had loving parents. I have amazing friends. I've just, I have a computer that I'm, you know, using right now that I could never design or build if I had to in a million lifetimes. There's so many, there's electricity, <laughs> you know, there's heat. There's so many things that I didn't do that I benefit from. You know what I mean? I have a car. I love cars. I have a motorcycle. There's all these things that I could never have invented. I surf. Somebody f figured that out. So all of these are gifts, right? This is all like me borrowing. And, uh, and I'm reminded of a quote that uh, I heard a guy say in Calcutta in India who volunteers with, um, with homeless, with handicapped homeless children there. He said, and, and he helps them every day. He said he feels that his, loan, his life is a loan given from God. And he wants to give this loan back, but with interest, right? Now, I, I'm not religious. I don't believe, I, I don't know what God's name is, and I don't know if or where they exist. But, but I, I really resonate with that idea that I've gotten so much, and I want to give back, but with interest. And so if, if my work and my leisure time, if, if any of that can have a cumulative positive impact on people, um, I want to do that because I feel there are a lot of people in the world who are suffering. I mean, in Europe, there's a you know immigration crisis that's caused by wars, famine, injustice, you know, extreme dysfunction of of governments. So many people don't have the things that I've had, and and I often think, well, if I was them, and I looked at this guy in Malibu, which is where I live now, and he surfs and he makes movies and he does whatever he wants to do. If that guy's not trying at least a little bit to help my situation, I would be pissed off. I would say that guy's, he's selfish. I don't want to be selfish. You know, I don't, I don't like selfish people. Um, selfish people don't make the world a better place. 
And so I want to be the opposite. I want to be somebody who, who contributes something, you know, and that's why I'm, I appreciate what you're doing because you are finding things that you care about and you are sharing those with the world, right? You're finding people, you're finding stories and, uh, you know, that, that's exactly what I want to do. So to me, that would be a very fulfilled life if I can achieve some of that. Okay. Where can we send people? Where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, I guess that that's one thing I'm not great at. The best place is probably our website for the last film, which is thehappymovie.com, thehappymovie.com. And if somebody needs to send me a message or ask me a question, there's an email address on there that looks very generic. It says info at the happy movie, but it comes to my friend and she can send it to me. So if, if you need it to come to me, just say, please send this to Rocco. Uh, I would like to ask him. Yeah, no, and I'm no, going to chuck a link below for your website because people got to check out Happy Movie. You mentioned I Am, which is another one. I think you were the director of photography of that, and another amazing, uh, another amazing documentary. Um, Rocco, really, really, really massive, huge thanks. Uh, I've, yeah, this is I've really enjoyed this conversation, and uh, very welcome, it's been, it's been it's been a good one. Cool. I look forward to staying in touch. <laughs>